Any guesses what of the seven deadly sins we're talking about today? Sloth, yes, good, way to, way to pay attention. Yes, we're talking about a sloth today. <clears throat> Some of us can relate because we've been on the other side of that conversation. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you just wanted to help them finish? It's like they couldn't get it out and so you wanted to help them. Really, it was helping you, right? I, I, I need for you to finish this now. Uh, others of us <clears throat> probably, probably relate well to the sloth, uh, if, we, if we're being honest, uh, the sloth is our spirit animal, right? We, uh, we like to slow, you're, you're the one that does 45 in the left-hand lane, right? And your blinker's been on for 30 minutes, right? That's you. Your Olympic sport is Sunday afternoon napping, right? That is your thing, and you're really good at it. Um, not, the, not the animal, as adorable and cuddly as the sloth can appear. Uh, the Bible says that sloth is one of the seven deadly sins. If you're new to this series, that's what we're talking about. A, a list that was put together around the end of the 4th century came to be what we have now around the middle of the 7th century. But throughout history, the church has used this as a way to identify these are things that you have to avoid. Um, the reason the door is here, uh, if you're new, uh, these, these aren't actions. They're not things you go out and do. They're desires that start on the inside, but they're the desires that open the door to all of the other sins. Like if you don't get control of these, they're going to open the door to a lot of ways that you can wreck and ruin your life. On the other side of this door is a way to ruin relationships, ruin your future, perhaps ruin your career, certainly ruin your spiritual life. And so we have, we have to have restraint in these uh, seven areas. Now, as your pastor, I do like the deep research on these things uh, before I come uh, with a message for you, and I, I know you're grateful for that. So I, I did a little background study on the sloth. Obviously, it's named sloth because of its lack of activity. I, I discovered that a sloth can sleep for up to 20 hours a day, right? Some of you are thinking, that sounds great. <laughs> I would love that. Like 20 hours a day. It, and even when it's awake, it's it doesn't go very far very fast. It'll move maybe 40 yards a day uh, in the whole day. Uh, National Geographic pointed out that sloths move so slowly <clears throat> that algae grows on their fur. That's how little activity uh, they actually get. In, in the TMI department, the metabolism of a sloth is so slow Normally, they live up in the canopy of the rainforest. The metabolism of the sloth is so slow that they come down from the trees to relieve themselves once a week. You don't get this stuff at any church, right? Like, there's, there's no other pastor in Walton County telling you about the metabolism of a sloth. Right? We're not, okay, we're not going to talk about the animal. We're talking about... Uh, this arena, if we were looking for a synonym, probably we would go with laziness. If we were looking for a synonym of sloth, I think it's more than that. And I'm going to try to explain why I think it's more than that in just a minute. But as we've said, with all of these sins, 
They're rooted in desire. And so we're trying to define each of the sins based on desire. So here's, here's let me give you two definitions. Um, definition for sloth uh, would be a desire to do as little as possible. I really, really want to do nothing. And admittedly, we've all had days like that, right? We've all had periods of our life like right? I want to do as little as possible. I, I, maybe a better way to think about this particular sin, though, is it's a lack of desire. It's a lack of motivation. It, it, it's a lack of enthusiasm, passion, energy. It's not having too little. It's just having none. Not, not enough of uh, motivation in order to accomplish the things that I need to accomplish. All of the, uh, the other six sins are rooted in an overactive desire for something. This sin, sloth, is rooting, rooted in too little desire for something. It's underactive. All the other six, it's like I have too much desire and I need to rein that in. This particular one... I don't have enough desire, and I've got to find some way to bring that level of energy and momentum and enthusiasm up. A couple of verses. This is from Proverbs. The cravings of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. He has desire, according to the proverb writer. The cravings of the sluggard will be the death of him. So So he desires something. He just doesn't desire it enough to do the work that it will take to achieve it. He is just not motivated enough to follow through on the discipline that it takes to actually get the reward. Uh, Another proverb, Proverbs 20, verse 4. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. Like Everybody knows they need to eat. Everybody knows they need to plan for the future. But this type of person doesn't have enough of a desire for that in order to do the work on the front end that will produce the results on the back end. There's just no motive, not enough motivation to actually follow through. They want a paycheck, but they don't have enough desire to fill out the application or go to the interview or show up on time, or follow the policies of the job that they've been given. They want it. Yes, I want that in my bank account. I just don't have enough of a desire to do the work that needs to be done in order to accomplish that. They want to be ready for swimsuit season, right? It's that time of year, right? They want to be ready for swimsuit season, but they don't want that enough to stop eating Chick-fil-A all the time, right? They don't want it enough to actually move their body, get their heart rate going, do some exercise. And the desire is just not strong enough to propel them forward to do the thing that's going to get whatever uh, they, they are desiring. We sometimes say about people, they just don't want it badly enough. We sometimes say that about athletes, or we sometimes say that about students, uh, They just don't want it. There's no drive. They just don't want it badly enough. That's what sloth is. Sloth is a lack of desire, a a lack of motivation, a lack of want to. God created the world full of these great 
blessings and benefits, like this good stuff. Um, and he, he doesn't just reserve the good stuff for people who believe in God. There's a theological concept called common grace. Common grace is like God lets everybody experience good stuff, and whether they believe in God or not. Like people who don't believe in God, they, they can have a good marriage, right? Like they can live in a nice home. Like they get life and health. And so common grace just says, yeah, everybody in the world benefits from the good things that God gives us. God created a world with lots of joy and blessing and benefit, but he also created the system of the world so that in, in many cases, you have to do some, you have to expend some effort on the front end to be able to enjoy the benefit. It's just the way God wired the world, and you don't have to like that, and you can argue with God when you get to heaven, I guess, about it. But God created the world system such that you have to put in a little effort on the front end to enjoy some of the benefits that He makes available in the world. Now, <clears throat> let me pause here because we're several weeks into this series, and I, I don't want to confuse anybody. We're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about how you get to heaven. We're not, we're not talking about earning eternal life, right? Salvation comes through Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. He takes our sin. He forgiveness. It's completely his grace and his mercy that he gives to us. The Bible does not say that if you have a really good work ethic, then you go to heaven. That's not what today's about. The Bible doesn't say if you work really hard, then God's going to be proud of you and you're going to get to spend eternity in heaven. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. The Bible says that the only way to heaven is through Jesus, through his death and resurrection. What we're talking about in this series, Seven Deadly Sins, we're asking ourselves, what are the things that keep us from fully living for Jesus in this life? Like, what keeps us from fully mirroring the character of Jesus, the character of God in this life? <clears throat> Not how do we get to heaven, but how do we live in a way that better honors God? The Bible says that sloth, laziness, is one of the ways to dishonor God in your life. You go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. God creates Adam and Eve and God puts them in a garden and it's fabulous. Like It's this beautiful garden and there's trees and, and there's food and there's beautiful things to look at. And it's just like this great paradise of a place. And after God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, he says to them, I want you to work the garden. I want you to go to work every day, and I want you to produce things. Like, I made all of this. I'm giving you all of this. But in order for you to experience the benefits of what I've created, you're going to have to do some work. And you're going to find satisfaction in that because you're going to feel like, hey, we participated. Like, we were a part of this. That happens in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve ever sinned. See, the snake and the apple and the sin and all that stuff's coming later. Before that ever happens, God says to Adam and Eve, this is the way it works. This is the system I created, is that you would participate. You would expend some effort and some energy. Sloth is a lack of motivation which leads to a lack of action, which, which leads to a lack of results. Right? I mean, if God creates the system of some of the blessings of God, some of the joy of this life 
is you expending effort and, and experiencing the result, then sloth is a lack of that motivation to do that, which results in me not following through on the things I need to follow through on, which results in me not experiencing the results. And, and, and it's not just sitting on the couch eating potato chips, right? I mean, it could be that. It, it could be that you just lay around and you don't do anything. But it could be that I'm not expending the effort in order to accomplish what God wants me to accomplish. Like, I'm, I'm not fully doing my job or my whatever in a way that most honors God. The truth is you could get up and go to work every day and still be lazy. Like, you could actually do things. You, you could get passing grades in school and still be lazy. Because some people approach work, they approach school from, well, I'm going to do just the bare minimum. Like, I'm going to just do just enough to not get fired. I'm going to do just enough to pass so that my parents don't give me a hard time about it. I'm just going to study as little as possible. I'm going to nail that C- minus every day. And I'm going to graduate with you know, a wonderful C- minus and roll into college and keep the C- minuses going because that's as little effort as I have to expend. You could go to work, you could go to school, you could go about your life every day and still fall under this category of sloth, of laziness. I mentioned uh, the book of Proverbs. We already read a couple of verses. Proverbs probably is the book that deals most extensively with this specific subject. So, so let, me, let me give you a few more verses from Proverbs. This is from Proverbs 24. A little sleep, a little slumber... A little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. There are consequences, the proverb writer says, there are consequences to our lack of effort, our lack of motivation, our, our lack of energy, and our lack of work. In Proverbs 6, he comes to this exact same conclusion. He's actually going to repeat what I just read, but he gives us an analogy first, gives us a little story first. This is from Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Just watch the ant. Nobody has to wake the ant up. Like, like, none of us go out in the morning, enter our lawn, and say, okay, ants, it's time to go to work. Everybody wake up. Nobody has to do that. They don't have to set the, their iPhone alarm clock. The ants just know, they just have an awareness, we need to eat. And if we need to eat, then we have to get up and we have to, we have to do so. We have to produce. And so they do it every day. And the proverb writer says, just, just watch. They get up, they expend effort, they expend energy, and their needs are met he goes on to say, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? And then he repeats what we just read. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. If I'm not motivated to put forth the effort, I'm going to be without. Now, this is the point where we need to pause for just a second, round out this discussion a little bit. The Proverbs, uh, they're, they're short, pithy, memorable statements. They're, they're given that way for a purpose so that we'll remember them. 
They're not intended to be deep theological treatises. They're also not intended to cover every scenario that you, should, you could possibly uh, uh, realize in your life. Instead, the Proverbs kind of give a general view of life. Generally, this is the way life works. Generally, if you work hard and you expend effort and you're motivated, then your needs are going to get met. You're going to have adequate resources. If you fail to be motivated, to do work, to expend energy, then there's a good likelihood that you're not going to have enough resources in your life. This is what the Proverbs and this is what the Bible does not say. The Bible does not say that every poor person is lazy. That's not what the Proverbs are saying. And that's not what the Bible says. There are many cases within the Bible where for reasons outside of their control, sometimes because they were followers of Jesus, people who loved God ended up in poverty. The proverb writer is not saying every time you see a poor person, they're lazy. That's not what it's saying. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible also does not say that all wealthy people work hard. Matter of fact, the Bible gives a lot of warnings to wealthy people. Be careful about wealth. The Bible does not say that all wealthy people are, are good moral examples, like you should follow their lead. That's, that's not what these verses are saying. These verses are just giving a general statement that typically in life, when you work hard and you're motivated and you're disciplined, you have adequate resources in your life. And if you fail to do that, then you may not have adequate resources in your life. Another pause topic, and then we'll jump back in. There is a lot of discussion today, in, even in Christian circles, there's, there's a lot of discussion about rest. And, and we call it margin, or we call it white space on our calendar, or we call it self-care, or soul care, or just a bunch of different things we call it. Um, rest is an important part of life. God creates the world, He works for six days, and He rests on the seventh day. Not because God was tired, but as an example to us. That there should be a, a rhythm, there should be a cycle in our life of hard work and then some rest. What we sometimes fail to point out in this discussion of rest is that God rested after He had worked. Like God had worked for six days and then He rested. And, and, and I'm not trying to draw some, it should be this percentage or this many days or this is how many vacations you, you need. The Bible doesn't get into all of that. But the Bible does say like, you were created to expend energy in good things and in godly things. You were created to work hard and working hard is going to make you tired and you're going to have to rest. And then the assumption is you're going to go back and you're going to work hard some more. But the whole reason you rested is because your work fatigued you. Like, you actually expended Energy, and, I, and I'm a little concerned that we have a fascination with rest in our day, and it's, it's almost as if rest is the goal, and, and you work a little bit, but rest, like that's the thing, like if you're spiritual, you need to rest, and, and yet you need rest, but rest is because we worked. All right, back, back into the, the sloth discussion. Um, I, I think as I said, sloth doesn't necessarily mean lying around all day and doing nothing, although it, 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 could, it could be that. Some of us are very busy 
and very unproductive. We're busy all the time. And we get to the end of the day, and we're tired, we're exhausted, we've run all day, and we look back at our day and think, I really, I didn't get anything done. And we all have days like that. Like we all have seasons, we have weeks like that, where we're doing and doing, like we're doing everybody else's stuff, and we never get to our stuff, so we feel like we're running, 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 and we didn't get anything done. We all have seasons like that, but if you have months like that... <laughs> If you have a life like that, like, like your life is running all the time, but then you look and there's really not anything of value that you have produced in all of that running, that in some ways is a part of laziness. Example, I, I think sloth is sometimes the result of us trying to care about too many things all at the same time. We, we haven't, we don't have the discipline of priority, of saying this is what's most important. We are inundated with worthy, important things all the time, right? It's on the news, it's on the internet, it's in your social media feed all the time. That's, I should be doing that. Well, they're doing that. I, should, I, should, I need to do this more with my kids. I need to read this book. I should go to this training. I, I, I need to solve this problem in the world. I need to feed the hungry. I need to do like all of this stuff. And for some of us, we are trying to care for all of those things. We're trying to have emotion for all of those things. And we're not actually doing anything. And it's, it's become perpetual in our life. It's become habit in our life to talk about all of the things that we care about or all of the things that we're burdened about, but we're not actually doing anything about any of them, trying to care for too many things. There are some of us that we have all of these things that we say we care about, but we never get around to planting in any of them. And so we never see a harvest in any of them. Like we never see anything produced. We've got 53 things that we're burdened by. But we aren't really doing anything about any of them. And sometimes we over-spiritualize it. Like we bring God into this. Oh, I'm just praying about which one God wants me to do. Like there's all these things. That I'm just praying I, talk, I talked to God today. Let me, let me tell you what God said. Pick one. He's tired of waiting. He's tired of waiting on your list of 53 things. Just pick one and go do it. And produce and plant. And settle down. And dig in. So that God can give growth. And, and can produce. And, and, and benefits for the kingdom of God. Just pick one. Another reason we can be busy and unproductive, two, two P words, procrastination and perfectionism, is what causes some of us to be unproductive. Sometimes because we have 53 things, right? We keep putting off and putting off and bumping back the deadline and I can't get that today and I'm waiting. And so procrastination, putting off and putting off and putting off and we're just not productive ever. For some of us, it's because it's never finished. Right? The perfectionism bug causes us to procrastinate because, well, I just don't think it's finished. Well, I need to spend a little more time on it. Well, I need to rework that section. Well, I'm not sure I'm ready to tell everybody about this. And so weeks go by and months go by and years go by and it never gets done. 
It never gets done. Another problem. We try to care about things that we can't change. Some of us are unproductive because we try to care about things we can't change. We carry around burdens and weights of things that are outside of our control. And we mull them over day after day. And we call the same friends on the phone and we tell them about it and I'm worried about this. And they all say the same thing. You can't actually do anything about that. You can't fix that. And so we post it on Facebook. Oh, I'm so burdened. It's not something you can affect. And you're spending all of this emotional energy and time wrapped up in something that you can't change. And that's making you unproductive. Another challenge. We're surrounded by distractions in the culture that we live in. Netflix is always ready to binge, right? Always. It's always right there. And the awesome thing about Netflix is like, you don't have to get up off the couch. You don't even have to hit the remote. When one episode ends, what happens? The next episode will start in five seconds. And there's that little circle, like it's counting down. You're like, five seconds. I got five seconds. It's like all of this, our smartphones, they're always begging us, look at me, engage with me, push the app, post something, see what everybody said, see who liked it. Like just all, and they're, they're, they're not all electronic. They're, they're not all, all technology. Like anything can be a distraction. Anything can pull us away. We live in this world where there's constant distraction, and as a result, we're just not productive. We're just not getting things done. The Proverbs in the Bible deal largely with physical laziness, like not working, not effort, no motivation to follow through. But that's not the only kind of laziness. And I would argue it's not even the most sinister type of laziness. A different kind of laziness that that we battle with in the time that we live in is intellectual laziness. We just don't like to think. What's worse, we let other people think for us, and we just adopt what they think. We let other, other people's articles and social media posts and perspectives and beliefs about the Bible. like We let everybody else think for us and, and we just absorb it. Intellectual laziness is a problem for us. Here's my fear for us. I fear that we're a society of people who are consumers of information, but we're not discerners of truth. We're a society of people that take in a whole bunch of information. But we have not developed the spiritual discernment to sort out what's true and false. What's real and fake. What's godly and ungodly. What agrees with God's word and what is in opposition to God's word. We haven't trained our minds to think deeply about certain things. This is not a political statement. I don't make political statements. Um, so don't take this as a political statement. Um, the Russian investigation, <clears throat> whatever happens with that, like whoever goes to jail, whoever doesn't go to jail, whatever they prove, whatever they don't prove, set that aside. 
Here's what we know. We know that people outside of our country looked at our country and said, they'll believe anything. So let's put fake stuff all over the internet and all over social media, and they'll just keep reposting it. That should be frightening to us. Okay, whatever else you're worried about with the FBI, whatever, that's you. You, you. you worry about that. This is what's frightening to me. A whole other country looked at us and said, they're intellectually lazy. Provided the article supports my person or criticizes the other person, they won't even take time to find out if it's the truth. They'll just repost it. And then they'll argue with each other about whether it's true or not. I mean, this is the dangerous thing about this whole Russian investigation. You may think there are other things that are dangerous. Fine. That's fine. I'm telling you, the intellectual laziness that has been exposed is frightening. And I, I, I am at the point where I realize I can't change all of the United States. Right? I'm not ever going to be president. Like I, I can't decree that this stuff stop. I am worried about it among God's people, though. I, I am worried when God's people don't slow down enough to ask, is this true, before they hit send or share or copy and paste or whatever. Here's an example for us. If you, tell, if you can't tell, this is frustrating for me. Uh, there's an article that goes around every couple of months. And I've told people so many times it's not true. I'm tired of telling them it's not true. I'm just going to tell all of you. This is an article that goes around every couple of months that says, Archaeologists have discovered the remains of the Egyptian army at the bottom of the Red Sea, thereby proving that Moses' exodus in the Bible actually took place. A fascinating article. And none of it's true. None of it's true. And believers in Jesus, thinking that they're helping out the kingdom of God, continue to repose things that aren't true. Listen. If we have to use fake stories to defend our faith, we should just shut down business today. Like, like if the word doesn't stand on its own, like if we are not convinced that this is true without a fake article, then we're in trouble. I, I'm, I'm concerned that even as God's people, we can't discern truth. We want some things to be so true that we're willing to believe anything. We can't be those people. We really aren't helping the faith because other people know that it's not true. Like other people are seeing through this. And look, I believe the exodus happened. Right? If you want to have that conversation, I believe Moses is a real person. Let them out. They go to the promises. I believe all of that's true. I just don't need a fake article to prove it to me. We live in a time of incredible intellectual laziness. And sometimes you'll challenge people about it. I saw this mostly in the election. You'll challenge people about a certain article, and they'll say, well, it could be true. <laughs> but it's not true. That's The point is, it's not true. Like Abraham Lincoln said, you cannot believe everything you read on the Internet, right? Why have we forgotten that advice? 
In God's Word, we are called to love God with our minds. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. The best of our thinking. The sharpest of our thinking. The best of our ability to discern truth and faults. That, that's a gift that we give back to God from, from our life. That's an that's a, that's a act of worship that I give to God when I use, use the best of my thinking and my discernment. We are to love God with our minds. And we're a culture, we're a society that's just lazy when it comes to thinking sometimes. Even in, and especially in the church. One more. And the most important one. We must avoid spiritual laziness. There's physical laziness, which has its problems. There's intellectual laziness, which is really dangerous. But there's nothing more problematic than spiritual laziness. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit, inherit what has been promised. Now, the writer of Hebrews is not saying we want you to have a good work ethic. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about work. He's not talking about physical energy. The writer of Hebrews is saying, I don't want your faith to be lazy. Spiritually, I don't want you to be flabby. I, I want you to be sharp. I want you to be passionate. I want you to be motivated by the things of God. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In the King James, that never be lacking in zeal reads, Don't be slothful in spirit. Don't be lazy in your walk with the Lord. Don't be lazy in your commitment to the things of the kingdom of God. Let there be a fire within you. Like, let, let there be enthusiasm. Let there be energy. Let there be a passion for the things of God that just gets hotter and hotter and hotter the longer you live and the more you walk with Jesus. I, I fear that, again, we're in a spiritually lazy period of human history. We, we, Many of us don't try to take God's word in on our own out, outside of church. Like we don't try to know Jesus beyond this little period of time each week. We can't come up with an hour and a half to get involved in a community group. And I know some, some semesters are busier than others. You can't plug in maybe every semester, but... I mean, our community groups are doing so great there. I, even in between services, I was talking to somebody who was just so excited about what's happening in their group. And a, a lot of us can't find an hour and a half a week to grow, to, to learn more, to, to build relationships. Our, our, we give God kind of the leftover Sundays, right? Like, after sports and bad weather and I just want to sleep in and the day after my football team loses, outside of those, I'll give God a few. 
Like whatever's left over after I take all of those out, then God, I may show up. And Paul says, man, don't, don't let the fire go out in you. Don't, don't let the hunger, the drive, the motivation to walk with Jesus, like don't let that go. Don't be lazy. Don't be slothful in your spirit, in your commitment to the things of Jesus. We're trying to give prescriptive virtues. Like, What would turn the tide maybe in you? What would turn the tide in me? And just real quickly, I'm going to give you two, and we're going to shut it down. One would be self-discipline. And that's why the proverb writer says, go to the ant, you sluggard. You may not feel like it. You just got to do it. You got to get up. You've got to give energy and effort. You you have to guard the priorities of your life because you can't prioritize everything. If you're the one trying to do 53 things right now, I'm telling you, like we saw in the video, there's somebody on the other side of the counter going, "Can can you come on? Can you make a decision? Can you get done? Because I'm waiting on you. Just... The self-discipline to prioritize our life, to do what needs to be done, to show effort and motivation. And I don't really know if this is a virtue or not, but passion. And maybe that's something we ask God for. Maybe that's not something you can produce in yourself. Maybe you say, God, what, what Paul said in Romans 12, I don't want to be lacking in energy and enthusiasm and motivation for you. I don't want to get cold. I don't want the fire to go out in my life when it comes to pursuing Jesus. We need that. A lazy, undecided, uncommitted spiritual life is not attractive to anybody. You know what attracts people to the kingdom? It's people that really believe. And they live it out. And they're not ashamed. And they're passionately in love with the Jesus that died and rose again for them. I want that to be us. Let's pray. God, thank you for getting in our face sometimes. Thank you for saying hard things to us. Thank you for reminding us that this life can wear us down, that, that, that we can lose focus, that our priorities can get all mixed up. And God, for some of us, we need some self-discipline when it comes to, to physical motivation and energy, avoiding sloth and laziness, exerting ourselves, spending energy in good things. And seeing the, the good benefits of that. And some of us, we just, we've got to commit to thinking clearly. We've got to commit to truth and what is right. We can't let other people think for us. And then spiritually, God, make us a church full of people that burn white hot with a passion for Jesus and His kingdom. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.